0: Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Something Worth Thinking About. In today's episode, we want to sit with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room when Jesus drops the bombshell on them. He announced to the entire group that one of them, one of the inner core of his discipleship group, is going to betray him. Now, they were already struggling to comprehend the idea that Jesus is going to be crucified and raised on the third day. They kept looking at each other and saying, what is he talking about? And now he tells them that one of the 12 will be instrumental in the events that will lead to the cross. And no doubt, it was a lot to process. And this is what we want to explore in today's episode. At one point or another, many of us, unfortunately, have probably had someone stab us in the back. Not literally, but you know what I mean. Someone did us wrong. They were not loyal and faithful to us. Instead, in one way or another, they betrayed us. We may not have seen it coming, but even if we did, there was nothing we could do about it. It happened to us, it hurt, and it cost us. There was a price to pay because of this betrayal. Now, when we come back to the upper room with Jesus, Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, and Jesus knew who would betray him. It's interesting and remarkable that evidently nobody else saw it coming. Only Jesus knew what was going to happen on that pivotal night long ago. So let's hear the text of John chapter 13, verses 21 through 32, the way John records this for us. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Verily I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, whenever you are reading the Gospel of John and and encounter this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is code for John. Uh, I doubt John wrote it this way, but the text that has been handed down to us through the ages reads this way. When you read the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, it is clear that some of the people that John had led to Christ had added their own seal of approval to John's gospel, and most likely they're the ones who were putting this kind of language into the text. In particular, you will remember that they state about John in chapter 20, verse 24, we know that his testimony, speaking of John, his testimony is true. And so again, they're likely the ones who are referring to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because I just, I just can't imagine John doing that as if to say, I was Jesus' favorite disciple. That uh, just doesn't fit what we know uh, and think about. Anyway, uh, let's return to the text of John 13 and the matter of the betrayer. The mood at the table takes an immediate shift. Uh, Jesus has been talking about how he loves them, showing them the example and the washing of their feet. And now, after Jesus has shown this love and honor to the disciples in that moment, all of the disciples, along with Peter, probably had these mixed feelings that we talked about yesterday. It's an honor, and yet somehow feels awkward and inappropriate. I should be washing his feet instead of him washing mine. And we see a similar tension And Jesus coming to John the Baptist to be baptized when John says to him, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. So there's probably something for all of us to learn in getting past our awkwardness and giving and receiving honor from one another and the things that we do. Jesus had to coach both John the Baptist and Peter into allowing what Jesus wanted and they Submitted to the will of God and the desire of Christ, and we need to do the same. Jesus wants us to serve one another. We need to allow people to serve us, even when we do not need them to serve us, and even when it feels awkward, just as it did for John the Baptist and for Peter. But the awkwardness of Jesus washing their feet evaporates in this moment that Jesus drops the bombshell on them, that one of them will betray him. And I want you to notice that Jesus himself uh, is troubled in spirit. And I think there's something incredibly important in recognizing this. Jesus knows why he has come to the earth in the form of a human being. Jesus is here to die on a cross in order to bear the sins of the world, to redeem and rescue humanity from the realm of darkness And death, and to be raised back to life on the third day. He knows that he is returning to the Father, and he talks about all of this and more with the disciples immediately after Judas leaves the room. And that's what he's pointing at when he talks about that God is glorified in Jesus, and the Father will glorify Jesus. And it's all about the cross and what's about to happen and the resurrection to follow. Now, even though he knows all of this, Jesus knows how it's going to end. He knows that the Father is with him. He knows what's about to happen will bring about the salvation of the world. Yet Jesus is troubled in spirit. Can we learn from this? Absolutely. It's it's okay. It's normal. And it's to be expected that you and I and other followers of Jesus who have deep faith and trust in God will still have moments when we are deeply troubled in spirit. And this does not mean that our faith is weak. It does not mean that we are forgetting to put our trust in the Lord. It simply means that what we are facing is hard, painful, and troubling. God is in this moment in the upper room with Jesus and everything that's about to happen. The Father and the Son are one. Christ came to lay down his life for us all. And this was decided and determined before the foundation of the world. When you go back and read through Ephesians chapter one, that God had chosen us in Christ before the beginning of time. And yet here we are. Uh, Christ is not shrinking from this moment, but he's troubled in it. And we should also take note of who else is in this. God is in this, yes. But Satan is also in this story. Satan entered into Judas. And where Satan is, there is pain and darkness and misery. So, so Jesus is troubled in spirit. Satan will move a friend of Jesus a disciple of the innermost circle of the twelve, to betray Jesus. And you know that had to hurt Jesus. And Jesus knows more than that. Jesus knows that this is the end for Judas. No doubt, Jesus hurts for Judas. Judas. We don't see this uh, detail in John's gospel, <clears throat> but in Matthew and Mark's accounts, Jesus said of Judas, woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. That's a weight that Jesus is also carrying in this moment. God is with Jesus and Satan has entered Judas. This is quite a remarkable thing to think about when we think about Satan's role in our salvation. Satan is playing his part in the salvation of humanity. Satan is bringing Jesus to the cross. Does he not know that in so doing that Satan is actually doing exactly what Jesus wants, what God wants? Satan is helping God to save us from our sins by putting into motion the events that will lead to the cross. Now, I, I really believe that Satan is clueless. I believe that Satan actually thinks that in killing Jesus, the Son of God, that he somehow is going to win, that he's making this play to undo whatever God is up to in Jesus living on the earth. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, we're told that the devil holds the power of death And so, evidently, Satan believed that if he could just get Jesus in the grave, in the realm of death, somehow, some way, Satan would be able to keep him there. It seems that that might be what's happening in these moments, because why else would Satan be cooperating, if you will, with God to bring about our salvation and ultimately his undoing through the events of the cross and the empty tomb. So Satan thinks he can keep Jesus in the grave, but the God of life is more powerful than the God of death. The Holy Spirit of God raised Jesus back to life. Satan and death were defeated and overcome. And early that Sunday morning, angels announced to the women at the now empty tomb, why do you look for the living among the dead he is not here he has risen just as he said